0: This is Dark Blue. My name is Jeff Rickley. In this podcast, we'll be exploring the challenges that people face when they choose a life in the arts. On each episode, we'll talk to a different artist about a range of topics, from addiction to depression, to what it feels like to lose a collaborator to suicide. And we'll try to find the tools that they've used to lead healthy lives in a field that has few guidelines. On today's episode, I'll be speaking to Chris Conley, the songwriter and frontman of the band Saves the Day one of the longest-running and most well-loved bands to come out of the scene that people call emo. Chris and I tackle a wide range of subjects from Taoism and Joseph Campbell to meditation. We touch on Chris's experience touring with the crippling physical condition Crohn's disease and return time and time again to the staggering number of collaborators that Chris has had in his 20-plus years in Saves the Day. The way that I'd like to start it, since it's just me and you and it's as buds and it's kind of easy to just catch up, is is to talk about sort of the ups and downs of mental health. Everybody's looking to deal with whether it's anxiety or loneliness or how to collaborate with people you don't get along with. Or, you know what I mean? I'm finding in in these different discussions, it's like, we got to treat the thing that's in front of you.
1: Yeah, and it's really just it's all it all revolves around the difficult nature of what we do, right?
0: <laughs> That's at least got to be part of it,
1: right? We don't get any training for this stuff. Yeah,
0: <laughs> no, nobody wants us to do if this we, stuff.
1: Yeah, if we could have <laughs> taken a class on how to collab, you know, with <laughs> with the sick guitar player, it would have been a lot easier.
0: Yeah, it would have been way easier. I mean, like the two of us have sort of had almost the polar opposite ends of uh, of the spectrum for collaboration. I think Thursday, right. you know, we all have we have. Almost the exact same members now with, you know, every sophomore will have somebody fill in that we have right. 20 minutes, Saves 20 the years ago. Right, total
1: opposite. Yeah, I was trying to chase it down. I was trying to figure out if it's
0: 17 X band members or if there were 20 band members. I couldn't figure it out.
1: Yeah, so, you know, maybe I haven't been that good at collaborating. That, but, I don't think uh, that's necessarily
0: the case, but I do <laughs> want to talk to you about that experience of collaborating with so many different people over the years.
1: Yeah, that's been, that's been a t- difficult experience, especially in terms of the sort of anxiety, you know, in terms of the mental health aspect of it all. It's really hard to build these relationships with people, you know, and you're very vulnerable and open, mm-hmm. and you wind up spending sometimes years on the road together, and um, they become some of the most intense relationships you're ever going to have, I think. So the, um, the situation is charged absolutely
0: yeah i mean the the kind of i think for anybody that's ever been in a band people say it's like being in a marriage with five other people or four other people you know however many band members you have it's being in a marriage with that many other people so you know
1: and if you've ever been in one marriage with one other person (laughs) you know what we're saying (laughs)
0: right (laughs) and so i'm always like i'm crazy for having this 20-year marriage with these five guys but like then, I think about you with twenty people, and I'm like, oh, oh my yeah. God. Well, I
1: just I, when I didn't like someone, or they didn't like me, or we didn't like the situation, we just got got rid of each other. So right. that's not necessarily the way you want to do it, but it's the way we had to do it in our in our situation. Well, I, I find- think there's a lot of this too. That's like the human condition. It's just so hard to bump it into other people, even at an, in an office space. You know, you hear about people in an office space having just such a hard time just dealing, interacting with other people.
0: Well, I think that's a really interesting question because, you know, a lot of this sort of popular psychology today says, like, we're tribal people and we need our tribe and we need our village. And and the, the, the case is that we're often pushed together into groups And expected to get along without ever trying to cross that line and have the intimacy of the village or the tribe or whatever. And um, so I think that's sort of like that's something I'd love to dive into to with you. Like, what what was it like forming the first band, the first one that you were like, these are my guys? Like, what was that feeling? What was the first time? What was your experience? Well, I
1: never had one of those moments of oh, these are these are my guys. It was that came many many years later Mm. because for me it all it all happened quickly enough and you didn't really realize back then that you were going to be in a band for 20 years you know you're just <laughs> getting together on weekends and and playing these new songs or recording on you know a boom box or something like that so for me there was just uh like a couple of people here and there where i really connected with them and um knew that gosh i like doing this with you the first person was brian newman i was
0: gonna say brian. the drummer yeah. he was
1: and he was the guy that I went to school with who asked me to come over one weekend and bring my guitar and and jam out, you know, and have fun. And then you know, 4 years later we were in saves saves the day together. So he was a real he was a real mainstay. Mm-hmm. But uh, with Brian, we were just friends from school. So there was we had known each other since we were 7 years old, you know, and um you you have a lot of uh on the job training already by the time you're <laughs> 17 and in a band. You know so we had gotten to know one another for a decade as just little kids at school. Mm-hmm. So I think that was that was helpful. And then when we started bringing in other people from either other schools or then later in other bands, you know, in the area or in or other touring bands, then you start to like have to get to know somebody in midlife or quarter midlife or whatever you want to call it. Mm-hmm. And then you're meeting a total stranger you know, 20 years into their story, you really have no idea who this person is. I don't know if this is good or bad, but I'd say my experience in Saves the Day has made me somewhat sort of hesitant. I'm even mm-hmm. hesitating to use the word jaded where I want to use it. Right, <laughs> but, right. You know, it's made me, like, a little bit slow to, to um, expect or trust, you know, that uh, the situation you're dealing with is exactly the way... You think it is I think that has that goes a long way in the conversation of mental health because a mm-hmm. lot of these anxieties um, or sort of terrifying sort of like um, thoughts come from not really knowing what you're dealing with you know and there's mm-hmm. there are things to question and there you don't have security, whether that's like emotional stability or mental stability or even just. You know, security in, you know, what other people would call jobs, you know, job security or whatever. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. It's it's been an interesting experience over the twenty years, mm-hmm. and uh, I'll say this: I wouldn't, I wouldn't want anybody else to have to go through it.
0: <laughs> <laughs> wow. <laughs> I mean, when you think about all the bands that kind of have idolized and emulated Saves the Day, that's quite a statement, right? Is like I wouldn't want anybody else to have to do it the way that I did it.
1: Not the way I did it. I think you, I think you want to do it the way that you did it, you know, and you know work really, really hard on these relationships. I think part of the uh, problem in saves is that I'm one of these, you know, crazy folks that uh, I definitely know what I want and and uh, I'm I'm not going to stop till I get you know get the song sounding the way I want to sound, and that's that's a crazy situation for other people. <laughs> I don't fault anyone for right. just going like I'm just gonna go learn how to uh, do math,
0: right? Like math has yeah. rules and it makes sense. Yeah, so. math
1: two plus two every time. There's that you know that guy can't say nope. You know I really feel like it's four and a half. I had a dream last night.
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's, that is but what it's being been in a like, band's it's like. been an amazing experience. <laughs> I feel like it might be four and a half. Yeah. <laughs> Both of us have spent, uh, you know, at least half our lives in the same band. Um, yep. That's a crazy thing. You know, people... I, I think, never
1: even thought of it that way. Wow. Yeah. More than half our lives now. Yeah. Wow. Um,
0: that's, I mean, that's... Somebody
1: else might cue the, like, Debbie Downer sad trombone, but not me.
0: No, no. I'm psyched about it, too. It's pretty <laughs> crazy. Um, you know, and, and and that, to me, brings up... It brings up the sort of question with collaborators, too, which is that, you know... I think most people will understand that, you know, by now, at least through the parade of members, Saves the Day is your band and it's your vision. And this is like, this is your project and your art. And like, they're welcome to come in and bring something to it. But you have like the roadmap and you're going to like be driving, right?
1: Yeah. And that's been a really, really hard um, road to travel. I think only because I didn't realize that I was the guy carrying the map. You know, it's obvious looking back. Like mm-hmm. everyone else was like, "What's that song you're doing?" You know, t- teach me that song. Mm-hmm. I was always coming up with the songs, but I was very sort of, you know, co- collective, and um, I wanted everybody to be a part of it. Mm-hmm. And so it took it. That's again, that's another thing that took me like ten years to realize is that, uh, oh, I get this. This is this is my band. This is why this has been difficult for so many years when somebody doesn't see it the same way. Right. And then we eventually wind up doing it my way. Um, That's just what this is. It saves the day. If it were like a restaurant business, you know, talking about like what Danny does, Mm -hmm. our friend Danny, you know, if he wanted to do it his way and somebody else wanted to do it their way, then they have every right to go and do it their way. Right. But I think in saves, we didn't really realize that we were, that saves the day was this sort of, um, we were sort of working on what they now call a brand. You know? Right,
0: right, right, sure.
1: But, uh, you know, back then, it was just, like, kids playing music. And I also didn't realize that um, how strongly I felt about all the music. It's so funny looking back in hindsight, because we just weren't given the communication skills. Mm-hmm. You know, if I had known to say, no, you know, I really like the song this way, and I want it to sound this way. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, you're saying something about the lyrics, but um, that's fine. I'll talk to you in 20 years. Right. You know, it'd been, it would I think it would have been a lot easier because there were certain number of years for, with Saves the Day that I didn't really know how to navigate all those um, sort of, like, relationship, tr- you know, tr- problematic spots, mm-hmm. troublesome spots, you know, and it would just be sort of awkward on tour and at the end of the tour it would be like, see you later. Right. I probably could have dealt with a lot of that stuff differently if I had been comfortable with my own experience, mm-hmm. you know, if I had had a certain amount of equilibrium... But again, I was sort of... I didn't know until much later.
0: Um, one of the things that I think about is the times at which I tried to be deferential to everyone. all uh, Everyone in the band. I knew strongly about a song that I would have written, let's say, that it needed to be X, right? It needed to be a certain way. Right. And then I'd spend days or weeks even trying to like spin out every whim of every member of the band because we were a collective and we we're best friends. And that is still true. And everybody is equal. You know, we had this big thing about we're all equal, but I, I see that actually that that was like almost like a cruelty to my band to not <laughs> take some authority and say, no guys, look, just do it the way I, I know how it's supposed to be done. I wrote the song with a certain thing in mind and that there's like almost a certain pack mentality in, in groups where it's like, if somebody doesn't stick their neck out and say no it's got to be this way this is the only way we can do it then it's like it's madness like nobody gets it yeah where's the it?
1: group gonna go it's like <laughs> uh what do they call that on a boat mutiny Mut- <laughs> right <laughs> yeah it's absolutely true i think if i had realized that early on that well, wow, i have a strong vision about this and i'm gonna communicate it instead of everybody else knew that they were just waiting to hear my strong vision and just sort of walking around on eggshells. I could have saved everybody a lot of like discomfort, right? Like but there's I think a it's kindness one of those that. things that we don't we don't get you know trained, you know, to know how to do these things. And this is not to make a comparison, but if you've seen any movies about um, Steve Jobs, even it took him a lot a lot of time to realize like how does how is he supposed to engage with his group. And how does he do this thing called leadership? There's just Mm -hmm. no training, Mm -hmm. you know?
0: One of the things that I've always enjoyed about Saves the Day being basically a band solo project is the thorough exploration that you've had of your own psyche and your own spiritual life. Can you tell me about that?
1: Yeah, I definitely got to do it my way, the entire way. So you can listen back from the very first Saves the Day song to what we made this year. And see that uh, oh, that's how Chris's mind works. That's how his right. musical mind works. So that's kind of cool, you know. And
0: well, I think it's even <laughs> more than that. Maybe like I, I've always read at least from "Stay What You Are" on, but probably earlier. I've read it "Saves the Day" as almost like a, a a discovery of the self, a spiritual exploration of, of what music means to us, of what it is. You can and find oddly enough, yourself. I didn't
1: even know you know until many years later like what the journey was Mm -hmm. and then i realized oh there's i do understand what this sort of um, path i'm on and it's just what you said this sort of discovery of self self and uh just the spiritual nature of life itself and also the power of music to bring people together you know if if you mention the spiritual side of things you know if are things uh, more like the unity of the mystery of everything is one, or are they a multiplicity where there's a million different things, the 10,000 things, as they say in Tao? At this point in my life, I think it's much more important that it's the 10,000 things than that it is the unity. Mm-hmm. You know, so um, I think if I had if I had, had that sort of... Um, well, I guess I couldn't have had that spiritual understanding mm-hmm. unless I'd gone through this whole Saves the Day experience, right. realizing that um, the multiplicity, the many the many voices in the song, um, is actually more what the nature of the music than uh, just this, the singularity of the one voice. Now in the, now, in the analogy of Saves the Day, that might not work that well because I was like this one guy singing the whole time and making it, In making the songs whatever i wanted them to be so that might be (laughs) that might not be a very good analogy for that but in terms of the spiritual growth that i was able to um enjoy from my through my experience with saves Mm -hmm. that's a major major part of my what i've learned the collective
0: yeah One of the aspects of self-examination that I've found the most compelling in Saves the Day's Music and Chris Connolly's lyrics is the relentless nature of self-examination at work. Whenever I come to Chris in my personal life with a problem or a concern, he'll always present me with a new way to look at the problem, whether through the lens of philosophy, religion, spirituality, or self-help even, things like yoga and meditation. So, Chris, can you tell me about a few of the things that you've found most useful in your own life as an artist? Majorly
1: Taoism. Uh-huh. Um, the, book, the Tao Te Ching was a major book for me, like, late high school and then early college years, so that's right when Saves was starting. I'd read it all the time. And then um, I discovered Joseph Campbell when I was about 19 years old, so that's right around the through-being-cool time for Saves. Mm. And... Um, I think if I hadn't found him, I probably would have had a very, very different journey because at every sort of turn of the road, I could look to something in one of his lectures or books, and it would just put perspective on everything.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And um, I ca- I wish that I had known all of this stuff early, early on in yeah. Save the Day, even though that's only two years after we make our first album. Uh-huh. And I was already writing about, as you said, philosophy and stuff on the first saves album it was very much a private experience until discovering Joseph Campbell and that was when Ted our guitar player on Through Being Cool and Stevie or was living at my house mm-hmm. and we disco- we discovered it one night together there was like a PBS like pledge drive and they played this thing this show The Power of Myth mm, power and of myth we both classic, saw it yeah. together and it was an incredible moment for both of us and so we did get to enjoy that together and then for the next I'd say two years in Saves the Day, Ted and Brian Newman, the original drummer, and I were always talking about that stuff and constantly passing books back and forth, you know, Eastern mysticism and all that, mm-hmm. blah, 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 Timothy Leary stuff. <laughs> 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 and um, we really had an incredible growing experience together, me and Ted and Brian, and it was really special, mm-hmm. and it was very uh, significant in all of our lives. You know, the three of us are still in contact. And I think for, for me, having that, having that sort of camaraderie in the group that we were all interested in talking about the same things was, I didn't know at the time, was the sort of connection that I needed. There was no yeah. connection musically. There was a lot of just um, contention. But um, <laughs> in terms of being human beings alive in outer space and talking about being alive in outer space, I did have two really good
0: friends. Well, I mean, and that can have such an effect on the creative output of any given artist, right? It's like even if you weren't getting along yeah. Musical.ly.
1: Yeah, because with their support, I was able to write about stuff like At Your Funeral or This Is Not An Exit and start to like open up my eyes because we were all starting to look at life with a renewed sense of wonder. And so, yeah, that's a good point. If I hadn't had Ted and Brian in the band... You know as best friends and supportive and all going through the same thing i think that side of my experience definitely would have been uh i don't want to say thwarted because it sounds so like comic book but um (laughs) it, it wouldn't have been encouraged
0: sure before the interview gets any further i wanted to stop and give an example of the kinds of ideas that chris has been exposed to from a person like joseph campbell and the way that he passes them on to his friends and the people that he knows When I first got sober, I was telling Chris that I found it amazing that there were other people who had been through it, had experienced everything that I had been experiencing. And though I had felt isolated and alone for years, I was actually never alone, that there were always people that came before us. Chris told me, the labyrinth is thoroughly known, which is a quote from Joseph Campbell. And what he meant by that was that everything that we're doing now someone has gone through before us. The quote itself comes from the hero path. We have not even to risk the adventure alone, for the heroes of all time have gone before us. The labyrinth is thoroughly known. We have only to follow the thread of the hero path. And where we had thought to find an abomination, we shall find God. And where we had thought to slay another, we shall slay ourselves. Where we had thought to travel outwards, we shall come to the center of our own existence. And where we had thought to be alone, we shall be with all the world. Osiris. Dark Blue is part of the Osiris family. Osiris connects people like you with podcasts, videos, and live experiences about artists and topics you love. Visit OsirisPod.com and sign up for the newsletter so you don't miss new interviews, events, and podcasts. We're back with Chris Conley. Chris, can you tell me about what you took from the Dow and Joseph Campbell?
1: The general gist of what I took away from all that stuff Mm-hmm. was just that everything that's happening is the miracle of life itself. So like literally every cutting edge of every second of every day is the miracle of life itself, the Tao, whatever you want to call it, the universe, you know, God, mm-hmm, whatever, mm-hmm. that's a loaded term. But um, so that in terms, this this became incredible in my writing because once I became uh, accomplished at meditating, like I could, I was skilled meditator. Mm-hmm. Um, It was so easy to just access that uh, clear mind Mm. that uh, I wound up realizing over years that that's where the best ideas would come from anyway. So as soon as I sort of surrendered my thinking mind, stopped and stopped, you know, gnawing on a certain bone, whatever (laughs) I was Mm -hmm. thinking about, and I just sat there and accessed my the breathing and the meditation, you know, sitting there feeling my body and not, with, not in my mind, you know, not fighting my mind and not, you know, going off in a daydream. Um, I found that, that's, that was, that's the source of everything anyway, you know. The universe already, before we think about it, is the universe. Hmm. So that was the most incredible thing. And now when I write now, it's, I, I use that as my part of my technique, whether I'm writing words or whether I'm writing a song, let's say I come to a point and I'm not sure where it should go, I'm not going to think about it, you know because I know that the thing the whatever principle in me that already is um much smarter than my conscious mind is already much smarter than my conscious mind, so I just right. like just let go of the the thought that I have to figure this out right now, and I quiet myself and listen and breathe, and then the thing will be there. You know, a few minutes later or it won't, but typically it is. It's right there and it's just sort of waiting for you to chill out.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I have to say, like, how did you get good at meditation? You know, I think there are probably a lot of people that'll hear this and say, like, I know meditation is good, but like Yeah. What yeah, how, it was what? it was
1: Yeah, exactly. So I actually got sort of forced into it. It was a situation where the band I was in such a bad place that my band said, Hey man, we're going to f- we're finding this buddhist therapist guy in your town that we want you to go see and uh you know if and then it was like i was like fighting back i was like screw you <laughs> and then they said that's fine but we don't want to do this anymore unless you get help basically so wow and what kind uh, of behavior to,
0: did you have going on that they weren't into Were you just like anxiety and freaking out like or? for
1: myself i was um at that time I was on a really, really bad um, medication for Crohn's disease that oh. made me basically feel fucking crazy. It yeah. was horrible. And we were on this tour with Weezer, and I like couldn't come out of my bunk all day long, and then I'd, bar- I'd barely make it up on stage, play the show, and get back into the bunk. It was a great tour. Everyone's happy. All the fans are happy. But I basically couldn't even like look at the daylight. It was, it was just a bad place to be in. So they very caringly, very caringly... Um, you know, more than nudged me into this. And it was it was out of love. It wasn't like, you're a dick, and we're not making, you know, enough money if you're not writing songs. It wasn't like that. Right. Um, but they found this amazing Buddhist therapist here in my t- the town where I live, and I just started going to see him. And uh, he was on the same level, thinking about, you know, this Eastern stuff the same way I was. And I was very alone in, like, the modern society. But he, he understood, and he just sort of gave me a couple books and basically taught me how to meditate and it was that easy and so within the first you know month I I knew how to meditate and it was really really liberating and it was like an overnight experience it was very powerful and essentially all it is is just paying attention to your breathing pay attention to your thoughts paying attention to your feelings and paying attention to your body and but I, w- I was at a place where I had to lock myself in a room to do that. You know, it was like it was not a good experience. But like I would again, this is another thing I would never wish on someone else. I want to just give them the cliff notes, mm-hmm. cliff notes. You know, like <laughs> I don't want I don't want anyone else to have to go through this. But right. it was really powerful because what I realized very quickly within the meditation was that all this stuff, all these feelings, all this anxiety, all this overwhelming reality was inside of me Mm
0: -hmm.
1: because I was, remember, I was locking myself into a room, and so this is a dark room, there was, and it's soundproofed, it's the soundproofed room in my studio, and so there'd be no light, there'd be no sound, there'd be nothing, you'd just be sitting on a floor. So anything that, you know, came up in the back of my mind or, you know, the root of my heart or some sort of tense, my muscles tensing around my bones. I knew that it had nothing to do with what was happening. There was nothing happening in that room. It was just blackness. It was nothingness. So I very quickly realized that all of these emotions and reactions were floating around inside of me. So the meditation was so became this lifeline where I could sit there and just breathe, and the feelings would come out, and they'd sort of float in the water, and I'd see them and notice them and not fight them away. And then they just sort of float away. And it was wow. the most incredible experience. After 24 years of utter misery, I finally learned that like I was basically carrying all of that around inside me. And it was very, very rare at that point in my life to have some sort of negative experience that would then ignite all those feelings again inside me you know so here i was a grown-ish man Mm -hmm. with a good-ish life still carrying around all of these pent-up feelings that were there for god knows how long maybe thousands of years honestly um and so then i started to just become calm and confident that uh, i could i could abide i could sit with them confidence the wrong word i just knew that i could sit there and breathe and the feelings were just lake weather systems just passing through the valley and uh that thank god for that that happened to me in 2004 Mm -hmm. and um and it changed my life completely i mean all of a sudden the entire world was different
0: if you think about your body as a kind of like piece of hardware right and you think yeah. about like your personality as like the operating system that you run on.
1: Nice. I like that. Right? I like that.
0: And then you're out in the world on basically like all your senses are like unprotected, like Wi-Fi yeah, connections. <laughs> They're just open. You know what I mean? And you're getting like a ton of stuff that you need through those Wi-Fi connections. All the stuff that's pouring into you, you know, that you maybe can't filter out or don't know how it's like it change it doesn't just affect it it change it changes your like operating system to the point where you don't know like wait is the world a chaotic place or have i assimilated chaos into my mind and now right. i project it out to the world around me but really it's just that like i have right, a virus in my brain right inside
1: outside dilemma you don't
0: know like you said that thing where you realize i'm in a dark room there is nothing in here but me and I'm, yep. fuck, I'm in pain. You know what I you mean? You've
1: inherited that from the world,
0: <laughs> right? And like, and, and like, then now the world I'm giving inherited it back.
1: That from people in a dark room that feel that,
0: right? Right. So it's, it's like we all carry it around, right? And we're all responsible for our little like. You know, it's it's kind of like you know what they talk about, like the idea of the open source internet too, just to carry the computer uh, analogy down. This is a
1: good analogy. This is a good analogy. Yeah, but we all
0: we all carry our own little piece of reality with us, right? Because we're all assimilating the world together, and it's like a shared, consensual reality. It's kind of like a bunch of computers. You run, you run
1: by, walk by someone at the corner store, and their operating system's got a bug in it.
0: Totally, (laughs) totally, and you (laughs) and you pick up on pick up on it. it It's
1: everything's pressed up against each other
0: and that to me is what empathy is you know what i mean it's what the mirror neurons that let you understand how you're supposed to do stuff it's why we can pass on yeah. traits through adopted and then, parents and not yeah. just genetics you know i'm what I so mean?
1: glad like the like people like you are doing stuff like this because i think it's probably the most important issue not only of our time but potentially for humanity because you know if you walk by one person that doesn't have their shit together they rub off on you
0: mm-hmm. <laughs> and it gets passed it gets passed on f- forever. Exactly. It's not, yeah, it's it's not just you. It's incubation station. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um.
1: <laughs> you know, that's a, main, that's a main part of my personal cause and purpose in life. You know, if I were to choose, consciously choose what is my purpose, what is my cause, I really want to help people learn how to deal with life and be calm, you know, so that we can actually enjoy the experience together. Like, my cause is not political. Mm-hmm my cause has nothing to do with the social justice thing. If anything, i would just like people to find find a space inside of themselves that they can just just breathe
0: for a minute. <laughs> it sounds like a platitude when you say it, right? But it's not. If you really break just it down to Just the... it's so
1: complicated the actual <laughs> right. if you were to like unravel the knot right of the problem, like most people a as for someone that's been through a bit of a dark night of the soul, I don't want anyone to have to go through that. I would rather gl- give the Cliff's Notes.
0: But that's interesting. You know, do you think they, that's possible? Yeah, I don't think it's that What's that? Do you think that's possible though? Like cuz to me, I do. I've I've come I to like think... understand my own dark night of the soul and say like I'm actually thankful I got to do that cuz I'm a better person now and like now I appreciate life in all of its like myriad qualities. Um I right. don't know. Right, and
1: how do we help other people to get there? Is it to help them otherwise through the dark be, night
0: and say like don't be afraid, like be brave and get through it? Is it like you know what I mean, it's well, like to save know, them from I know, I know. I think or?
1: modern medicine's going to help in the next 150 years. Interesting. Cuz the whole meditation and religion thing that obviously didn't, you know, a, didn't answer the question that people needed. Mm-hmm. So there's got to be some new new way to help people within you know the reality of their own lives they're sitting there in the middle of themselves with nowhere to go you know it's just stra- it's like plato's cave allegory they're just strapped to a post and watching mm-hmm. watching shadows mm-hmm. and that you know how are you going to help someone in the midst of their own you know nightmare <laughs> now i'm i feel i feel like I feel somewhat safe saying stuff like that because I have lived through the nightmare. I know if you've lived, th- li- you've lived through a million nightmares. So I'm answering that, you know, with a smile on my face, you know, and happiness in my heart, N- despite the fact that it's, it feels like it's an exhausting, you know, endless experience. And where's the answer? And what are we supposed to do? I do believe it's. It is. I do believe that there is a you know like a greener pasture so to speak for humanity i really do and also i have luella my daughter so i guess it's it's not necessarily like consciously optimistic i really actually am optimistic but also i believe that it'd be wrong to uh to you know, just be completely nihilistic at this point <laughs> right right and right, i right, know right. i'm saying that as a parent and so people that don't have parents that's that's a different perspective
0: when i say like Maybe everybody should have the dark night of the soul. It's not that I think people should hurt. It's not, that's not even really meant to be a nihilistic thing. It's meant to be more like, maybe that's why life is beautiful. Like, maybe in Oh, both I get the that. Yeah, man, you're speaking know, my you know? language. Yeah.
1: That's Hegel's Hegel's dialectic. He wrote this book, The Phenomenology of Mind, to mm-hmm. realize, to try to figure out how did mind, consciousness itself, wake itself up? Like, how did it make itself? And he said it had to create, like, this awful, awful reality. Mm hmm otherwise if it were just this blissful dream after a million years it would become insipid or like cosmically boring because it realized oh i'm all alone with myself just having this daydream what is it all about he 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 reasoned that consciousness itself had to create that that dark night of the soul Mm -hmm. so that anything would actually happen so i think you're absolutely right to to even feel that that's it's such a core part of life itself that it was written into the into the roots but i wonder if now at this point in evolution it's almost like a duty or a mission or a reason um to try to uh to really try to help humanity to see the um the light within the dark the mm. good within the bad that, to actually brilliant. see that it's a miracle that.
0: yeah absolutely yeah you mentioned Timothy Leary a few minutes ago, Chris, and I'm very interested in psychedelics these days, uh, their potential for research, and also just how they change the brain when people take them. Do you have any experience in Saves the Day with uh, psychedelics at any level?
1: Yeah, it's interesting. I remember back then when some of the guys, Ted and Brian, were getting into that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, and they'd they'd go out to California and hang out with some friends and come back and saying. We drove through the mountains, listening to the doors. It was amazing, and um, you know, and I was saying, "Wow, it sounds really cool," you know. And then they're like, "Chris, you gotta come do this with us." And I'm like, "I don't know, man. I don't know, man." And you know, they used to say, "No, but you already talk like this. You already think <laughs> I mean, like you this. do. This which is, is already <laughs> how you think. You gotta do it." You know, and that was the whole bit. But also, I would say, at the same time, Saves the Day had this van accident where it was like I woke up in the middle of the night and the van was flipping over. So it really, like, I remember takes that. your whole mind and it flips it over, too. So that was all coupled with this whole Ted and Brian going to California and listening to The Doors kind of thing. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> so the entire thing um, kind of crystallized for me since a lot of the Eastern thing is about seeing beyond, you know, the reality of the material realm and blah, blah, blah. And right, it's all the Maya veil of and,
0: consciousness. and Yeah,
1: you know. exactly. So I think the shock of having this near-death experience, uh, and again, this isn't the kind of thing I'd ever want anybody to have to go through, but 20 years later, um, I'm sitting here thinking, wow, gosh, I'm so glad I got to experience all those, the, ba- the back passages, the, you know, the corner hallways of the mind and it was sort of a crash course.
0: Yeah, I mean, I think it's really interesting that you talk about the van accident as a psychedelic experience, and that's something that I can really relate to. Um, uh, you know, I I have, in the past, uh, relied heavily on psychedelics. Um, they helped me uh, get off of heroin uh, a year and a half ago or so. And one of the profound experiences that I had um, on, on DMT was that I was like pulled out of life, you know, over a threshold and saw kind of like almost like a color representation of the dark and the light together being part of the, mm. the miracle of life. You know, I saw like, oh, mm. and I had this sort of like profound realization that like if I'm dulling it with drugs, then like I'm just losing out on the beauty of this thing that's being given to me. It's like, oh, right. You know, right. like I'm just totally like not I'm not in it. Like the pain is important and I need. That I yeah, it.
1: that connects with me cuz I remember right after the van accident and after all these experiences this supreme moment of clarity like oh my god, life is so beautiful, like whoa. Yeah. It's so it's just so incredibly divine. I'm, and I feel like yeah. with that <laughs> vision that I had, with that powerful vision that I had, I would still have been I would have felt that way the entire time. Yeah. You know, the last 20 years. But I would say that life is so fucking powerful that it comes and it slaps you around a little bit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, so you can't just get lost in the beatific vision. It comes and no. it slaps the, gra- the graveyard vision comes. That's right. And it's like, what are you gonna, how are you going to answer that?
0: <laughs> and, and the power of forgetting that I think is so important. Because I yeah. think once you have the revelation about life being beautiful, like when you have the profound, simple revelation that life is beautiful... Yeah. If you were to keep that in mind every day and never let it out of your mind and never worry about a parking ticket or like... Right, right, <laughs> right.
1: That's a good point. You know, any of That's those things? That's a really good
0: point. Any of those things, then then, then it becomes that insipid, uh, huh. boring, beautiful place That's again. That's such a good point you know?
1: if you didn't have to worry about the little duckling. Right, totally. <laughs> you know, a mama duck would just fly away. Do they fly?
0: Yeah, they can. <laughs> Some of them.
1: That's, a, that's such a good point, though. <laughs> it's wild. It's such a trip, too, because then you have to come back to life and answer that, see that that's what it has to do. It has to create a, that, what you said, you have to go through the dark night of the soul. And then that could be a hard, it can be hard to say yes to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Especially when I think the dark night of the soul comes way, way late into the spiritual journey. I feel like it comes like 15 years after you have the be- beatific vision. Mm-hmm. You know, comes along and slaps you with something that, like, you're—it's not likely you're gonna get up from this and still have a peachy disposition, right? Right. <laughs> you know, and it's just like, what are you gonna do about that, buddy? Thanks a lot, life. <laughs>
0: <laughs> jerk. I'll tell you what, you life. Know? I'm just about done Friggin with you. Friggin' jerk. <laughs> In 2007, Saves the Day embarked upon a trilogy of records about self-discovery. The first one. Sound the alarm was an expression of discontent. Under the boards, reflection, and daybreak, self-acceptance. In another artist's hands, subject matter may have become self-indulgent, but Chris used his own mind as a prism through which to shine the light of his music. Because you could write about any subject, right? But like, if you're writing about the self, it's almost like you're pulling back the camera and showing the lights and showing the set and being like, Yeah, whatever we're talking about, remember that this is a movie or remember that this is me, this is myself. Hey, that's such a great
1: picture. I love that. That's basically what I did on that trilogy. The first line is burning the door in the back of my mind. So it is stripping the set, taking the lights down. Let's just get get down to brass tacks here. What the hell's going on inside (laughs) this empty room that is your brain? Thankfully, the music has always been really interesting in terms of like, musicianship there's always been a lot to sink your teeth into if you're a musician and saves the day it's just it's very interesting music and it's not trying it's not pretentious it's not trying to be acknowledged but it's it's interesting so i think there's a lot of stuff for the guys in the band over the course of that three records um to enjoy and i think that was that was part of what uh you know allowed me to go through my lyrical exploration is you know, because it's not like the music reflected all of that. The music reflected it only in that you know the angsty or sort of melodramatic bits of the music would would facilitate certain sets of lyrics. Mm-hmm. But other than that, if you remove the lyrics and you remove me going through my whole like little journey of self-discovery and like what's it all about and facing the dark night of the soul and all that, it's still just like punk records. So that was fun. Yeah. The nice thing for me is I've been able to go through a lot of this experience sort of on my own, especially when Saves the Day wasn't like a commercial thing. You know, after our record with the lead single "At Your Funeral" and then September 11th, and uh, we sort of yeah. got you know the uh,
0: what the is old that yank. on the
1: Gong Show? Yeah, got the, yeah. The, the hook. <laughs> you the get the <laughs> hook or whatever. <laughs> but um, I was able. We were still able to be a band, which was great. So I got to continue writing about what was on my mind. You know, even though it's outside of the the scope of like the mainstream, I still got to you know go through all that in an honest way. So I feel very grateful that our fans, you know, are so loyal, and the musicians in the band were skilled and um, like psyched on just the music alone.
0: At this point in the conversation, Chris and I talked about writing lyrics and what our band's perception of our lyrics were like. It got a little inside baseball and a little technical, so I'm cutting some of that out. But then it turned to the family dynamic of a band and how it feels to be a singer. Especially when, like Chris and myself, you're an only child. And I'm an only child, Chris, so this is like, this was me learning to have brothers. Oh, I have that too. Maybe that's what's going on with us. Singers, right? Singers that are also only children, I think, is like a double whammy. You know, it sure is. I'm man. a Pisces too, so it's like, I feel oh, there we go. We've got Eliza. all of them. Yeah, I got all the like <laughs> yeah. real crutches. We had them
1: all day one. <laughs> we got spat out of the womb. And I think through like our journeys with music have been so important because what other kind of um, profession are you going to have where you can do this kind of soul searching, this right. kind of digging on the clock? You know, no, most people would just, they'd, you know, they'd work their job till they're 60, and then have some sort of, you know, breakdown. Right. And go full, uh, that Michael Douglas movie, Falling Down,
0: or whatever yeah. it is. There are two sides to what we do, right? We're, we're artists on the one hand, and, like, you know, in the in the past I used to feel pretentious saying that, but, like, I mean, clearly, like, songwriters and writers are artists too, right? So, whatever, we're artists. Yeah. And we're also expected to be entertainers, getting out there and, like, wowing them and playing the hits and doing, you know, doing the thing. Um, right. And I think it's, it's very interesting to me. It's very, it's been, you know, to watch from the outside and to know you as a friend and to love you and respect you and, you know, want to learn from you and and all these things and to have bands with you, you know, like we have a very, we have a very good relationship long time now. And, um, and I've watched, but I've also gotten to watch from the outside. I've gotten to watch saves the day and, and the reception and things that have happened. And I think like, maybe like a, a year ago or, or longer there was a a time when you guys were playing maybe some festivals, some outdoor festivals, and I remember reading a review that was like, Chris definitely lost his mind on stage. He was looking at the at the sky saying, like, what a beautiful day. I'm so happy to be here. And then he would just they would solo and like you know, basically seeing somebody who thought you were literally in the middle of a nervous breakdown on stage <laughs> And I'm just thinking, like, I know Chris, like, he was having a great show, oh or like, my God, that's just me, <laughs> right? Like, and what <laughs> that's that means? So to funny, you. <laughs> you yeah. Know?
1: That's just who I am. I have noticed that make people uncomfortable over the years. It's been interesting, and I'm not sure if that's what you're getting at.
0: Yeah, that's seeing the artist, not the entertainer. There's something that's so real about you going out there and being yourself on stage, in the moment and allowing yourself to live inside the exploration of the songs which are explorations of your you know character and your mental health and your emotions and you're sort of like living it out for them live and they're like i wanted to see them but i didn't want to see them that close or i didn't want to i didn't want to have to be in them you know what i mean i wanted them to perform for me basically
1: right and i get that that's been my experience the entire time being in saves the day and i think you just nailed it the The whole um, relationship between an artist and a performer—that's something that I wish I had was a performer. Mm -hmm. I've never had a performer. I just—it's almost like an uncomfortable experience for me, Uh to be completely frank. You know, all the thing that I do best is write songs Uh and like think, Uh and then the guy that goes up on stage—you just said uh, like I'm just living that song. I'm just—I'm feeling the moment of that song. And I'm not doing it for anybody else right and that's something that um, it's almost strange for me to realize that how um, obvious that is that you know it's expected that you're to be a performer, but it's just never been in me And if I'm you know if it came down to um, the question of, are you going to go out there and perform the way other people want you to perform or are you, or uh, you have to give up, I would give up.
0: Right. I knew you would you say know, that, You know, like, yeah. I have,
1: I just have no interest, like, it's, it's, I resent it, honestly, I would say. Somebody's saying that so-and-so's lost his mind. It's like, well, let's see your psychic uh, profile, <laughs> yeah, you know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> How are you, d- have you been through the dark night of the soul, and did you make it back with a smile? And let me, let me tell you what, I would like to save you from having to go through that. Right. <laughs> you know, if you're, if you're already in a downward spiral, you know, and you, take two you don't and call me in the morning
0: yeah you don't condescend to your audience you invite them on the journey Obviously, not at all they can, if, they anything, can walk if i out, hear people
1: but... if people are critical like that i just say fuck you
0: <laughs> right
1: so right i don't you know but you that's invite just commune i am to commune and with really with you i mean music really i would be i would be completely happy just being a normal person who's a dad and i work a job so you know i
0: don't i don't need them <laughs> but i mean it's interesting i guess I think part of it, right, is that that fundamentally, as a society, we haven't prepared anyone to want to engage deeply socially with art, right? Like,
1: yeah, no one wants it. Even the Buddhist thing, it's like the first noble truth is suffering. Everyone's like, oh, "I'm getting out of here." <laughs> <laughs> you know, you got to sugarcoat it with Christianity. You know, all the angels will sing. Right, but you know. but
0: you know it's like you could. That's the thing. When I think about that, I think, man, if you told me, I was going to see my favorite band, we were going to go into a room together, they were going to play and invite me into like a psychic melding of energy where they could you know dive in and they would invite us to you know sing stuff too or like to chant. Yeah, they chant can cry too if they want to. Yeah, they can chant words with like because he was saying like you kept on trying to lead the crowd in like a chant of like yes. Yeah, or like like some like some cathartic basic and I was just thinking, like, if you were to write this up and send it to it like this is an experience that you've never had before, people would be like, Oh my god, I gotta try this But because they went there just being like entertain me but
1: they'd have to yeah you know what i mean like they see it in the movie 15 years later when the guy's dead and then they finally realize oh he did something cool cool and then they make a movie about it (laughs) and they're like
0: i was at the one show where he went crazy right and they'd be like i was there it was so crazy it was amazing i loved it and meanwhile they were like
1: yeah and then you read in the guy's diary and he's like he's like the life's over the world has ended what's the point (laughs) (laughs) thank god for family (laughs) you know (laughs) that's definitely been my experience as being like a madman or a crazy person or someone dealing with mental health like on the stage Uh for 20 years like my supreme answer to anyone that wants to weigh in with their opinion is go fuck yourself (laughs) i love that Chris. you know mental health is so important and you know who wants could you believe anyone would say anybody's going crazy anyway right i mean that's so I don't know, Ask go ask Dave Chappelle what
0: he thinks. Right, right. Well, I mean, that's interesting too, right? Is like people see what our tour schedules were like back then. And I know for Thursday we spent, you know, the better part of 15 years doing 10 months a year on tour. And you're on, you know, we're taking one day off a week and the rest of it is supposed to be like life-changing experiences night after night. And you get up there...
1: That's my experience, too. There's that weird fine line between living your art on stage for people and being a performer, uh-huh. you know, and being grateful that uh, they care, and then also when they're sort of somehow disappointed. Right. You know, like, honestly, like, so if me as a, as a fan of what I'm a fan of, I've never felt that way. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm just, like, grateful that Paul McCartney's alive. I don't really give a shit if I don't like one of the records or not. I'm not like, I
0: hate Paul, <laughs> you know? <laughs> right, right. No, I was going to say, in myself, I, I notice that base instinct of, like, if I get a record from a band that I'm like, eh, this isn't what I like about them, I'll get, like, all in my head about it and be like, this sucks, I hate this record. And then I'll be like, oh, man, that's what everybody thinks about, like, like uh, common existence or like one of the thursday records that like people were like eh. you know what I mean? i'm like but they don't realize why that one's like the best well, one and also or whatever. my
1: first question is where's your record <laughs> you know you're gonna complain about a thursday record or say day record where's your fucking record <laughs> but uh, <laughs> that's where you see the new jersey in me come out yeah i know i'm like that. all right chris
0: all right <laughs> all right
1: um, but i mean there's I think there's two things there first mm-hmm. of all, people need to know how to be respectful mm-hmm. and they need to know how to be an a member of the audience and they're just not turned they're just not taught etiquette mm-hmm. you know and then also if you're lucky enough to have an artist in your in your life, let them make art mm-hmm. and shut the fuck up <laughs> no man our we're like we're actually in we're we're in the depths trying to figure out what what which way's up and which way's down you know mm. i think uh everybody else uh it's it's just just a matter of getting by but for you and i for people like us that have been already been there mm-hmm. you know it's it's our job to learn how to live mm. and survive and come and answer answer the question of all those all those curious inquisitive minds out there what's it all about yeah well i mean enjoy your life don't be a jerk <laughs> <laughs> brush your teeth
0: i i definitely think of the artist in the role of the shaman you know what i mean like the one who yeah. will drink the poison to find out what it does um and also like exactly. come back and I tell like everybody else about it you know what i mean like
1: that's a great image drinks the poison to find out what it does <laughs> that's what we've done
0: yeah and um I don't know. It's a, it's a beautiful privilege. It's also like it's a huge responsibility. You know what I mean? Like people don't understand like the psychic toll. I do it think
1: has. it's a burden because yeah. yeah, people look look at that experience without understanding. Even though it's one of the most important, if not the most important thing you could do as a human being to become comfortable with your experience and to understand what you're going through. Mm-hmm. But then you wind up, you know, as you know, an artist in in the uh, in the middle of you know commerce. Mm-hmm. And then everybody feels like they could tell you what you should be doing. Well, that's fine. That's just a different, that's a different game. I'm not playing that game. I'll gladly talk talk to my bros about stuff that matters. And that's about it. And that's about, that's it. about it.
0: Chris and I covered a lot of ground today. One of the most important points that Chris made was that he was able to get good at meditation. A lot of people think meditation is something you either do or you don't but you actually can practice it and get very good at meditation. It may seem intimidating, but the basics of Taoist meditation are quite simple. Sit in a relaxed, but straight posture in the lotus or half lotus position with legs crossed or on the edge of a chair with your feet on the ground, palms up in your lap, close your eyes and concentrate solely on your breathing. In through the nose, out through the nose. This is different than other meditation. Many Taoist practices have all nose breathing. Do it slowly. And for this kind of meditation, it's so important to breathe from the diaphragm, pull down into your stomach. Don't breathe in through the tops of your lungs and concentrate on bringing in a light that's pure and white through your nose and exhaling all the darkness that you feel inside yourself. Go through all the body parts, starting with the top of your head, your eyes, your lips, your jaw. Relax them all and let all the pain flow out through your breath. To concentrate solely on breathing, try this simple meditational practice. Breathe in, two, three, four, hold it, two, three. Four exhale, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, in, two, three, four, hold, two, three. You can start with five minutes just to get a feel for it. Some people find it very hard to sit still for that long at first. But 20 minutes is a suggested starting point. 20 minutes is good for clearing out all kinds of things that are bothering you. I sometimes do it in total silence, and other times find that I can only concentrate with some very calming meditative music to block out the sounds around me in my apartment. I suggest a record like The Art of Listening by Christopher Willits. Something that's droning, but won't take your attention too far away from your meditation. That's Dark Blue for this week. I'm Jeff Rickley.